ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet is brought to you by Chesterfield, made by Liggett and Myers, first major tobacco company to give you a complete line of quality cigarettes. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. Two hold-up men have been operating in your city. You've got descriptions of the men and of the car they're driving. Your job, get them. Smokers by the thousands are now changing to Chesterfield. No wonder. More and more smokers are learning this fact for themselves. Chesterfield, low in nicotine, highest in quality. A published fact proved by chemical analyses of the country's six leading cigarette brands. Chesterfield, the only cigarette ever with a record like this. Regular or king size, Chesterfield is best for you. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, April 14th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. My name's Friday. We were on our way out from the office, and it was 10.46 a.m. when we got to the corner of Calhoun Street and Van Nuys Boulevard. The Universal Hobby Shop. Yes, sir. What can I do for you? We'd like to see Stanley McGowan, please. Oh, Stan's not in right now. Anything I can do for you? When do you expect him? It shouldn't be long. He just went out for some coffee. Are you sure there's nothing I can do? No, sir. You know where he went? No, I don't. Probably up the street. He'll be right back, though, if you want to wait. All right, fine. Uh, pull up a couple of those stools. Make yourself comfortable. Thank you. You mind if I go ahead with this? I can get it finished this afternoon. No, sir. You go right ahead. Pretty jazzy deals. You seen them? What's that? Hey, these boat models. Put them in a bottle. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. This is a new one. Just came in. Take a look. Jean Lafitte's boat. Pretty, isn't it? How's that? Uh, Lafitte, the pirate, you know. Oh, yeah. How do you get it inside the bottle? Well, the bottle comes in two halves. It's uh, cut apart lengthwise. You put the boat in and glue the halves together. Uh, there are a couple all finished over there. Look pretty good. Mm-hmm. How long's McGowan been working here? Oh, I guess it's been about six months around in there. You guys friends of his? We want to talk to him. Oh. That's funny about him. What's that? Well, he doesn't seem to have any close friends. Hey, you know, like you could call up and ask a favor from. Never hear him talk about anybody like that. You ever seen any of his associates? Oh, a couple of times when we get ready to close up, there might be a guy waiting for Stan. Most of the time he plays a single, though. I've tried a couple of times to get him out, you know, stop the bar on the way home, have a couple of drinks. Stan won't have any part of it, plays it single. Do you have a car, would you know? Not that I've ever seen. Hey, say, will you hand me that gold paint over there? Yeah, sure. This one? Uh, no, no, this the small one there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Here you are. Ah, thanks. And a little bit of this goes a long way. Touch up the tops of the mast here and she'll be ready to rig. Well, these friends of his that pick him up, what kind of car do they drive? They, uh, what are all these questions for? Who are you guys? Police officers. This is Frank Smith. My name's Friday. Mm, cops. Uh, well, what do you want with Stan? He done something? We just want to talk to him. I sure hope it isn't anything serious. I'd sure hate to lose Stan. That's so? Yeah, he's one of the best riggers we've ever had. There's a couple of his models over there. Take a look. 
That one in the case, $150, old Ironsides. One of the best boats we've turned out. Standard, that. Sure got a steady hand. And that's what it takes when it comes to rigging, steady hand. Want to go out now, Rudy? Uh, yeah, yeah, in a minute. A uh, couple of fellas here want to talk to you. You want to see me? Your name's Stanley McGowan? Yeah, that's right. What's this about? A cop, Stan. Yeah? This is Frank Smith. My name's Friday. I'd like to talk to you, McGowan. You sure, what about? Might be better if we went out to the car, huh? Make no difference to me. Uh, you fellas stay here. I'll go out for some coffee. All right, thank you. Uh, bring you back some? No. No. No, thanks. Uh, I won't be long. Okay. What are you going to talk to me about? You seen Jim Boland lately? No, I haven't. Wanted to see him last. A couple months ago. Why? Where'd you see him? Well, he come in here, wanted to know if I could help him out, give him a job, place to sleep. Did you? No, I told him he could bunk at my place for a couple of days till he got squared away. Nothing I could do about a job. Why'd he come to you? I don't know. I met him at Q. Didn't have much to do with him. Hey, why'd you guys come to me? What makes you think I might be running with him? We didn't say you were. Same thing. You figure I know where he is? Well, the record says you knew him. We're just checking it out. I got nothing to do with him. I'm reporting every month. You check with my parole officer. He'll tell you. I've been carrying a bucket since the day I got out of the joint. I'm going to keep on carrying it. We got no beefs with you, McGowan. We just want to get in touch with Boland. I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do to help you out. Anything comes up, I'll give you a call. You mentioned any of his friends in town when you saw him? Some guy named Phil, that's all. You know who he is? No, I never met him. Jim said they were cooking up some kind of deal. You know what it was? No. Look, I'd like to feed you guys, but there's nothing I can tell you. As far as I'm concerned, I want to stay away from Jim and the crowd he runs with. I want no part of him. I did my time. A couple more months, I'll finish up with the parole. I don't want to fall again. Nothing you can tell us about this guy, Phil, huh? Not a thing. You know where he met Boland? Seems like Jim mentioned it. I think it was some bar down on West 7th. Just a guess, though. I couldn't back it. You know if Phil drove a car? Yeah. You know what kind? It seems like it was a Lincoln, a late model sedan. How about the color? It was dark. I saw it once when he came by to pick up Jim. It was nighttime. I couldn't tell too good. It was just a dark color. Where was this? My place. I told you Jim bumped with me a couple of days right after he got in town. He just said you offered to let him stay with you, is that right? Well, same thing. Anyway, he was only there a couple of days. You say where he was going? No, I didn't see him. Him and me had a beef about how he wasn't looking for a job. He used to sit around all day reading magazines. We finally had a fight about it. I told him to get out. Wanted no part of him. I came home that night, he was gone. I haven't seen him since. I don't much want to either. Mm-hmm. Look, what are you after him for? What's he done? Just want to talk to him. He got a piece of these market jobs around town? Why do you ask that? Well, sounds like Jim, the way he works. I just figured maybe it was him. You check the board, he violating parole. They tell us he hasn't shown up for three weeks. That's too bad. Kind of figured maybe he'd swing it this time. How do you mean? A couple of times up in the joint, we'd get to talk, and he said he finally learned it. Figured out there was no way to beat it. Said if he got his parole, he's going to stick by it. Get a job, carry a bucket. Too bad. Mm -hmm. All that talk, I really believed he meant it. So did the parole board. 6 weeks before on March 3rd the manager of a large supermarket had arrived at work. When he opened the front door he found that a customer had followed him into the building. When the manager told the person that the store wasn't open for business yet the man had drawn a gun and demanded that the safe be opened. The manager complied and after taking $1400 from the safe the thief had fled. The manager was able to give us a good description of the holdup man and an accurate description of his car. He was unable to give us the license number and he could tell us little about the man who remained in the car. Immediate broadcasts were gotten out on the thieves, but they'd apparently made good their escape. On March 12th, the procedure was repeated. Again, we were able to get good descriptions, but we were unable to come up with the suspects. In the following four weeks, the thieves hit five more times. Each time, the M.O. employed was the same. The descriptions from each of the victims tallied with those that we'd already gotten. The description of the car was the same. This information was turned over to the stats office for compilation. Their findings listed 14 possible suspects. 
the packages of these men were pulled from R&I and the mug shots were shown to the victims. In each instance, one picture was picked as bearing a close resemblance to the holdup man. The prime suspect was identified as James Boland, WMA, 32 years old. He'd been arrested twice for violation of Section 211 of the Penal Code. He'd been convicted once and had been sentenced to San Quentin for a period of from five years to life. However, at the prison, his behavior and attitude had been good and he'd been paroled on February 19th, 10 days before the first holdup. We found that Boland had violated his parole and was wanted by the state adult authority. A check of his friends netted us no new information. His relatives could tell us nothing about his whereabouts. The legwork continued. Informants were questioned, but were of no material aid. Saturday, April 18th, 8.46 p.m. I'd just gotten home from work and I was unlocking my front door. Hello? Oh, yeah, Dave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I just got it. When was that? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I'll have to call my partner. Right. Yeah, where? Yeah, I know where that is. Well, let's see. It's 8.47 now. It'll take us about, oh, 15, 20 minutes. Right. Okay, we'll see you there. Yeah, sure. Bye. Hello, Faye. Yeah, Frank there yet? What if I could talk to him? Yeah. Hello, Frank? I just got a call from Dave Hyde. Yeah, says he wants to see us right away. Bar down on 6th Street. Yeah. No, all the way downstairs. Okay. What? Yeah. No, he says he knows where we can find Jim Boland. Ten minutes later, Frank picked me up and we drove down to the cocktail lounge that our informant, David Hyde, had picked as a meeting place. When we walked in, we couldn't see Hyde, but the bartender told us that he was in one of the rear booths. We walked back. Hi, fellas. Come on. Hi, Dave. Hi, Dave. What do you got for us? Lousy bum. All the things I did for him. All the things, and now he's got a chance to settle up, and he says he's having no part of me. You talking about Boland? Boland. What a bum. All I've done for him, this is the way he pays me back. Boy, you just wait till I spread the word around. There won't be anybody in town will have anything to do with him. He's through in this town. T-H-R-E-W. All right, Dave. Settle down. Give us the word. Where'd you see him? Bar over on 7th. Big man now. Got a roll. Looks like a branch of Fort Knox. A lot of money. But he's too good for his old friends. Too good. Say, uh, how about you fellas popping for a drink for a pal? Huh? How about it? You've had enough. Come on. Why not you see Bowling? Just this morning, big man. Got good clothes driving a big car. Asked him for a loan. Just to get squared away, pick up a couple of tabs I got around town. Just see me over the hump. You know what kind of car he's driving? Yeah, big Lincoln. Brand new. Got red leather trim on the seats. Even got one of those seats that goes up and down, but he can't give a pal a helping hand. I, I spread this word around town. He's really finished. Ain't a guy in town to touch him with a 12-foot pole. A real darb, a real darb. You know where he's living? Nah, I don't know. Probably got a house out in Bel Air. It looks like he can afford it. Who's he running with, you know? Yeah, some guy's lighting cigarettes. Supposed What's that? Some guy who's lights the cigarettes oh, all the yeah. time. Supposed to be some gun from the east. Thinks he's such a big shot. The cheap kind, you know. Kind of guy who has his suits cut so as you can see they're carrying a gun. You know, cheap. You know this fellow's name? Uh, a couple of times I heard old Jim call him Phil. Phil something, I don't know. A real dark. Hey, fellas, uh, how about a drink? I'm feeling real bad. You still on age? Oh, no, 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 no. I swear to you, I haven't had a pop in a long time. I'm trying to get off the stuff. Figured if I could get drunk enough, it wouldn't be so bad. Rough go. Come on, how about a drink? You've had enough, Dave. You know if Boland's carrying a gun? I don't know for sure. I didn't see one. 
This darb Phil's got one. Got his coat cut so as you can see it. Real cheap, small time. You want to show us where you saw Bolin? I'll take you there if I have to carry you on my back. What a way to treat a friend. All the times I've helped him when, when he's had a bad yen, and now he treats me this way. Real dog in a manger. I got a lot of friends in this town, a lot of buddies. Word gets out about Jim, he's finished. Miserable bum. I think about the rough times him and me had together, I, I get ill. I L. All right, let's go. If you nail him, are you going back to the joint? Suppose so. How long are they going to give him? It's up to the court. Ain't a court in the world that'll give that bum what he's got coming. All I want to see is that he gets it good. I want to see him turn the key and lose it after what he did to me. I'll tell you something else, too. Yeah, what's that? He's building a big habit. Is he hooked? He ain't chipping with it. I bet money he's shooting four or five caps a day. That much easy. You sure about that? Well, why'd I lie to you? What reason I got to lie? All right, Hyde, let's go. Hey, um, how about a quick belt before we go, huh? I'm, I'm feeling rocky. Just, just, just a quick one. Let's huh? pick up Bolin first, then we'll see what we can do for you. Yeah, and then you'll take care of it, huh? We'll see. Yeah, just so he gets his every pound. Can't wait to see the look on his face when he finds out the whistle's been blown. Oh, I can't wait. Neither can we. Let's go. 9.13 p.m. Hyde, Frank, and I drove over to West 7th Street. Our informant pointed out the bar where he'd seen the suspect, Boland. He told us that when he'd seen him last, Boland said that he'd be in the bar that night. We called the office and told them where we were, and then we went into the place. Boland wasn't there, but the bartender said that he was expected. The three of us sat down in a booth at the rear of the place, and we ordered black coffee for our informant. We waited. 9.30 p.m. 10. 10.30. There he is, coming in now. When you saw him this morning, did he say this guy Phil was going to be here? No, not to me. How about it, Joe? You better get out of here, Dave. Use the side door, will you? Yeah. We'll check with you later. All right, let's go. Boland? What? You Jim Boland? What do you want? Police officers, you're under arrest. All right, Boland, come on, get up. Come on, on your feet. Stand still. He's clean, Joe. What's going on? What are you pulling a deal like this for? I didn't cause any trouble. All right, come on, let's go. Somebody blew the whistle on me. Somebody did. I... I'm going to find out, and I'm going to get to him. I swear I'll get to him. Where's Phil? Huh? Phil, where is he? I don't know what you're talking about. All right, Boland, let's go. Listen, you tell whoever it was blew the whistle, they better start looking for a place to hide, because I'm going to get to him if it's the last thing I do. You called it. What? It might be. Ten fourteen p.m. We returned the suspect to the city hall and questioned him. He refused to admit any complicity in the holdups. He refused to tell us who Phil was. We talked to him for five and a half hours and we got nothing. At three thirty a.m. He was taken over to the main jail and booked in on suspicion of robbery. We checked out the room that he told us he was living in, but we were unable to come up with anything that would tie him in with the holdups. Three days passed. On Tuesday, April twenty-first at eight thirty p.m., a special show-up was arranged. Out of the seven victims who were present, five said that the suspect looked very much like the man who had held them up but none of them would give us a positive identification. Jim Boland was returned to the felony cell block and we talked to the victims. All of them commented on the fact that the suspect we had in custody was the same height, the same weight, and had the same general coloring and appearance as the person who'd robbed them. However, none of them would swear positively that he was the person. At 10.15 p.m., Frank and I went up to the felony section and had Boland brought from his cell to the interview room. His previous sullen attitude had changed considerably. How'd I make out? You get any identification? Five of them say you look like the man. Well, they're wrong. They gotta be. I didn't have nothing to do with those holdups. If they say I'm the guy, then they're making a bad mistake. They seem pretty sure about what they say. Well, they can't be. Look, they saw me behind the screen. You bring them up here. Let me talk to them face to face. I'll talk to them. I got nothing to hide. Just let me talk to them. You know we can't do that. 
Oh, so it was up to you to prove a guy was innocent as well as trying to make him for a job. That's right, it is. Then why don't you give me a break? I got no part in these heights. You look good for him. Probably a lot of other guys who do too, but that don't mean they are. Come on, what do I have to do to make you believe? Why don't you come off of this, Boland? We got you going in. Why not play it smart and cop out? How can I cop out when I got no part in it? I'll lay it out for you. The M.O. used in the jobs matches yours. Big deal. A lot of guys work the way I used to. Physical description we got matches you. So I haven't got two heads. A lot of guys look like me. The beef in the bar. If you didn't have anything to worry about, why'd you start the fight? How'd I know who you guys were? Maybe you was out to pull a high Oh, that's a nice try, Boland, but it won't work. You knew we were officers, and I wanted you to save us a lot of time and tell us the truth here. You guys wouldn't know it if it bit you. There's one way to find out. Yeah? Try it. You got a cigarette? Here. You want one? Yeah. Okay. I'll level with you. I figured you was after me for PV. I didn't have any idea about the 211 rap. That why you started the fight? I swear it is. How about the money you got? Where'd it come from? I got real lucky with Paradise. You expect us to believe that? That's the way things are. Where'd you hit the light? I can't tell you that. It wouldn't help any. Give you an alibi. Either you believe it or you don't. That's the way it was. I'm trying to level with you. We got a rumble at your back on H. Now, how about that? Where'd you hear that? We heard it. Yeah. Well, you tell him I haven't had a pop in over four years. Not since I went up the joint. How about this Lincoln you're driving? Don't belong to me. Who owns it? Phil. Now we're back to that. You're going to tell us who Phil is? Listen, the guy's a friend of mine. I don't want to bring nothing down on him. He's leaving you way out in the cold. I suppose so. Well, if I tell you, you won't know, will he? Not from us. Okay. Name's Phil Spence. How well do you know him? Say hello to him, buy him a drink, that's all. That's not the way we get it. I don't care how you get it. That's the way it is. Suspense. You ever fallen? I hear yes. What for? 211, ADW. Where? Here, California. You on parole? No, he got out clean. At least that's the way I hear it. You know where we can pick him up? I told you I buy him a beer once in a while. I don't pay his rent. You're the one who said you wanted to go down the middle. All right, but I'm giving it to you that way. I, I don't know where his pad is. Does he work for a living? I don't know. I never heard him talk about a job. You know who he runs with? Some guy named Ed. You ever see him? No. Know where he can be reached? Sometimes they hang around the bar where you picked me up. How about it, fellas? You're going to buy this story? Yeah, we'll check it out. I swear it. I got no part in it. Sure, you got me cold for PV. I know I got to go back for that, but I want nothing to do with the rest. We'll check it out. Well, you do that. You'll find out what I said is the truth. You willing to identify these two other guys for us? How do you mean? Check over some mugs? Sure. Just as long as you believe me. We'll see. You won't regret it. A lot of things I can tell you if you get me out of this. A lot of information I can give you. Let's go. You're going to give me a break, huh? We'll check it. Say, either one of you guys got some extra butts. I'm out. Yeah. Here, take these. Thanks. Anything else you need? Not unless you can fix it for me to shave. We'll talk to the jailer about it. Beard's starting to itch. I'd like to get it off. We'll see what we can do. You gonna start checking my story now? That's right. You go to work on it. You'll find out. Yeah, sure. I'll pay you back. Just believe me, I'll pay you back. Figure he's telling the truth? It's hard to say. The identifications weren't too sure. Everything else is. There's only one way. Yeah. Check him out. Listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action.
the April 21st. After we left the suspect, Jim Boland, at the main jail, Frank and I went back to the city hall and checked the name Phil Spence through R&I. There were nine packages carrying records for men with that name. Two of them had served terms for robbery in the state penitentiary at Folsom, California. We got off communications to George Brereton up at Sacramento and to Washington, requesting information on known criminals having that name. 12.30 a.m., we went back to the jail and had Boland brought from his cell. We showed him the mug shots from the packages we had, but he failed to give us an identification. We talked to him about Phil Spence. He gave us all of the information he could about the missing suspect's habits. At this point, we were still not sure that Boland wasn't implicated in the holdups, but we had to check out what facts we had. The one point which seemed to verify Boland's story was that the victims were unable to give a positive identification of him. 1.30 a.m., we went back to the office and checked out for the night. The following morning, Wednesday, April 22nd, we started to recheck Boland's story of his movements during the times of the holdups. Upon re-questioning some of the witnesses, we found that they weren't as sure as they had been of the facts. That afternoon, we got a kickback from Sacramento. It contained three more possibles. CII said that they were sending us mugshots of the men by airmail special delivery. Boland gave us a list of places Spence was known to frequent. We came up with the name of a girl that the suspect was known to see from time to time. We got the address and we went out to talk to her. Doesn't look like she's home. We better check with the manager, huh? Yeah. Yeah? Eugene Schofield? Why? We'd like to see her. Who are you? Police officers. Come in. I'm her. What do you want? I'd like to ask you a few questions. No, I figured that. Move some of those clothes and sit down. Can I get you anything? Drink, maybe? No, no ma'am. Thank you. All right. What do you want to talk about? How long has it been since you've seen Phil Spence? Who says I know him? We understand you know him pretty well. I've gone out with him a couple of times. That's the end of it. When did you see him last? A couple of days ago. Monday night, I think. You know where he is now? No. You know where he lives? Some hotel over on Flower. You know the name of the place? No. You ever been there? No. You know what Spence does for a living? I don't know. Got some kind of a job, I guess. You ever talked to you about what he does? I told you. i just been out with him a couple of times. I didn't ask for his birth certificate. I just said I'd go out with him. What are all these questions about anyway? What do you want to talk to Phil about? It's a personal matter. What kind of trouble is he in now? You've been in trouble before? I don't know. Just with you cops around, must be something he's done. Spence got any close friends that you know of? A couple. You know who they are? One of them is a guy named Jim something. How about the rest? Fellow he calls Ed. What do you know about Ed? Not much. Is he in it, too? Ma'am? He mixed up in this personal thing you want to talk to Phil about? Maybe. Never did like him. I always figured he'd end up getting Phil in trouble. Phil see quite a bit of him? Yeah. I think he's maybe in some kind of business deal with Ed. You ever say what the deal was? Not to me. One night a couple of weeks ago, he got real looped, and him and Phil were talking about it. What'd they say? I don't know. Phil told me to go pat on my nose. I don't know what they said. And how do you know what they talked about? Because when I came back, I heard Phil say something about how the deal was going to work out all right. Then he saw me, and they shut up. Phil owns a car, doesn't he? Yeah, a new Lincoln. You ever let anybody else drive it? Well, once in a while, he lets Jim take it. Not often. Phil's kind of touchy about the car. Say, how'd you fellas know about me? Routine. Checking Phil out. Your name came up. Oh. That's all, huh? Ma'am? I'm not mixed up in it. You can answer that better than we can. Yeah. Well, I want you to know that I'm not. I got nothing to do with Phil. Mm-hmm. I mean it. I just met the guy. I had a couple of dates with him. He's hung up in something. I got nothing to do with it. You got to believe that. When are you going to see Spence again? Well, you believe what I tell you, don't you? If he's in trouble, I got no part of it. When are you going to see him again, lady? You mean when have I got a date? Yes, ma'am. Tomorrow night. He's going to pick me up when I get through work. Where's that? Bar down in Olympic. I'm a hostess there. Is that where you met him? Yeah, he came in one night. We got to talk. He asked me for a date. I don't want you to get the wrong idea about it, though. 
Ma'am? Well, about how I met him. I don't usually go out with the customers. Boss doesn't like it. It's just that Phil seemed kind of different. That's the reason I went out with him. I want you to get that straight. Mm-hmm. Just a minute. Expecting anybody? No, I don't know who it is. Want me to open it? Yeah, go ahead. What took you so long, honey? I got cut me, Phil. I know. I don't think so. Hi. You Phil Spence? Yeah, who are you? Police officers would like to talk to you. What about? Might be better if we went downtown. Or who? What? I don't want to go downtown. You don't have much to say about it, mister. He's a pinch. If it makes you happy, mark it down that way. You want to shake him, Frank? Yeah. Get away from me, cop. What are you doing, breaking up my place? Lousy deal. Get out of here, my deal, coming in and breaking up a girl's apartment. Who's going to pay for all this? Who's going to make it right? Just look at the place. Oh, shut up. Why don't you tell me they were here? Why didn't you say something? All right, Spence, let's go. I'm coming. All I want to know is who told you. Who yapped? That lousy Eddie, I bet. He's the one. Never should have picked him up. He with you on the jobs? He told you, didn't he? How about Jim Bolam? He in with you, too? Oh, that guy hasn't got enough sense to come in out of the rain. He's worse than Ed. Should know not to get mixed up with that dumb Eddie. I should know. Always happens. Yeah. Run with a jerk, you're gonna get tripped up. Lousy Eddie shooting off his mouth. Hadn't been for him, you'd never got us. I'm gonna tell him off. What's the difference? You told him everything they wanted to know, you're all going to jail. Why don't you shut up? You're always wrong, sister. Not this time. Let's go. The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On August 13th, trial was held in Department 92 of Superior Court of the State of California in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Well, this is brief, but I think very much to the point. Chesterfield is the only cigarette that gives you proof of low nicotine, highest quality. That's what I want in my cigarette, and that's what you should look for in yours. Chesterfield, regular or king size, best for you. Try them. <laughs> Philip Donald Spence and Edwin Floyd Morse were tried and convicted on four counts of robbery in the first degree and were sentenced as prescribed by law. Robbery in the first degree is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than five years. Jim Nathan Boland was released to the state adult authority for action on violation of his parole. He was returned to San Quentin for the balance of his original term. just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the Office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Herb Vigran, Vic Perrin, Michael Ann Barrett. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely new Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspapers for the day and time. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Have you tried new cork tip Fatima? It's the smooth smoke with Fatima tips of perfect cork. King size for longer filtering and Fatima quality for a much better flavor and aroma. 
Fatima is made and guaranteed by Liggett and Myers Tobacco Company. Try Fatima today. Hear Frank Sinatra as Rocky Fortune tonight on the NBC Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet is brought to you by Chesterfield, made by Liggett and Myers. First major tobacco company to give you a complete line of quality cigarettes. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to auto detail. An organized gang of thieves has been stripping cars in your city. None of the stolen merchandise has turned up. There's no lead to the identity of the members of the gang. Your job, stop them. Smokers by the thousands are now changing to Chesterfield. No wonder. More and more smokers are learning this fact for themselves. Chesterfield, low in nicotine, highest in quality. A published fact proved by chemical analyses of the country's six leading cigarette brands. Chesterfield, the only cigarette ever with a record like this. Regular or king size, Chesterfield is best for you. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, June 13th. It was overcast in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of auto theft detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Nelson. My name's Friday. I was on my way into the office, and it was 7.52 a.m. when I got to room 45. Auto theft. Morning, Joe. Hi, Bob. You seen Frank? No, he hasn't come in yet. Oh, all right. Hey, Joe? Yeah? When Art gets in, tell him I'm down R&I, huh? Yeah, sure. Bob, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. What happened to you? Well, if it's all the same to you, I'd rather not talk about it. That bad, huh? You seen Joe? Yeah, he's over his locker. Thanks. Morning, Joe. What happened to you? Joe, I'd rather not discuss it. Well, what happened? All those scratches on your face there? Please, Joe. Well, I was just asking. Look pretty bad, huh? Joe? Yeah. Yeah. I look pretty bad, huh? I thought you didn't want to talk about it, she said. If word about this gets out, Joe, I ain't ever going to live it down. Is that right? I've been had, Joe. Cop for 12 years, I've been had. Well, what's it all about? You won't spread this around, will you? Look, I just asked you what happened. Now, if you don't want to tell me, I'll go along with you. You don't have to say a word. Come on, let's get on the reports. What do you say? You better get in touch with Bowles when he comes in and try to check some of these out, huh? You're not even interested, huh? All right. You want to tell me about it? Well, if you really want to hear. Go ahead. Well, last night I took Faye down to the store. She had a little shopping to do. 
Small stuff, you know. Potholders, dish towels, things like that. Yeah. I got a parking place right in front of the store, so I waited in the car for it. Mm-hmm. I was sitting there listening to the radio when this fellow walked up to the car. He leaned in the window and asked me if I had a minute. I told him I did and asked him what he wanted. Did you know the guy? Never saw him before. Didn't know him from Adam. Uh-huh. Right off, I could see the guy had trouble. How do you mean? Well, he looked real bad, like he'd been on a drunk for at least a week. His clothes were all rumpled up, looked like he slept in them for a week. You know how I mean. Yeah. What did this guy want to talk to you about? When I saw him, I figured he was going to put the bite on me, so I braced myself, you know? You braced yourself, huh? Yeah, you know. I'm a real sucker for hard luck stories. Faye's always telling me I should learn to stay away from those guys. She was just saying the other night that What'd if this I... guy want? Huh? Well, what do you want, this fellow that talked to you? Oh, well, he gave me this story about how he'd been on a bat and how he was broke and he needed some money to clean up before he went home. Mm-hmm. But he makes it real plain that he does not want a handout. Nothing for nothing. What do you suppose he meant by that? That's when he showed me the package. The package, huh? Yeah. What package? Well, the one he was carrying. Didn't I tell you that? No, you didn't yet. Well, you see, before I couldn't see it, then he showed it to me. It's all done up in tissue paper, ribbons and all. Paper was kind of dirty, like he'd been carrying it for a long time. Ribbon was a little tired, but it was there. Mm-hmm. So he asked me if I wanted to buy it. That was this package. Well, what was in it, he asked me if I wanted to buy that. Well, what was in it? He took off the paper and he opened the thing up. And Joe, inside is a brand new razor. Brand new. Worth 25, 26 bucks in town. What kind of a razor? Well, he said he'd let me have it for 20 bucks. No, what kind of a razor? You, just a razor, the kind you shave with? Yeah, an electric razor. Oh, well, you didn't tell me it was electric. Didn't I say that, Joe? No, you said he'd let you have it for 20 bucks just because he needed the money. Huh? Yeah, well, happened that I didn't have 20 bucks. You know me, so I told him I couldn't make a deal. Then he left, huh? No, Joe. Now, look, you wanted to hear it. Will you let me finish? Well, it takes you a little time. I have to keep drawing you out here. I'm sorry, Joe. I want you to get all the facts. Mm -hmm. We're officers together. We talked back and forth for a little bit. Guy finally said that I looked like I had an honest face. That's a new approach, isn't it? Joe. Well. So finally, he says you let me have the razor for 15 bucks. So I bought it. And that's how you cut your face up, huh, with that new electric razor? Well, in a way... You see, I had to buy some blades last night, and since I had the new electric, I didn't do it. Well, you don't need blades for an electric. No, it wasn't for the electric, Joe. It was for the old one that I had at oh, home. Oh, but you had the electric now. Sure, so and once I had that in my hand, I didn't want any I blades. See. Only thing I had in the house was a blade that was a week old. So I got up this morning, plugged in my brand new electric. What do you figure happened? Well, I'm going to take a real blind guess. It didn't run. How'd you know? Well, the same thing happened to Murphy over in robbery last month. There was a big laugh around here. You were one of the guys who laughed the most, don't you remember? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Miserable. Murphy know about this yet? No. I ain't about to tell him either. Mm -hmm. Righty, Smith? Yeah, Skipper. See you guys. Right. Close the door. Sit down. Thank you. What happened to you, Smith? Uh, it's a long story, Skipper. Well, you can tell me later. Why don't you guys take a look at this? What do you got there? Just saw Chief Brown on the way in. He's getting pressure from the corner pocket. They want this thing cleared up. What is it, Joe? Last few weeks, car stripping's taking a big jump. Not the usual line of stuff. Not just happening in certain neighborhoods. We got reports there from the Valley, Hollywood, Wiltshire, all of the divisions. Same thing's happening all over town. Uh-huh. Talk to the boys in the sheriff's office. They're getting it. Same in Burbank, Beverly Hills, Santa Monica. Doesn't seem to be any place they aren't getting to. How about the stolen stuff, Skipper? Any of it show up yet? Not that we can find. All the usual outlets have been checked. None of the loot can be bought. Any special kind of things being taken? Let him see those reports, Chuck. Yeah, here. Thanks. Take a look. We're not messing with kids in this thing. 
We had the victims tell us this gang can break into a locked car and lift the radio in under 10 minutes. They can pull all four wheels off a car in under six minutes. Insurance companies are screaming. They already got into the police commission. Chief Brown told me this morning he didn't care how we did it, but he wanted it stopped. Well, where do we start? Well, up to now, the investigation's been handled pretty much by the divisions. From here in, it's in your laps. Use as many men as you need, just bring the thieves in. You're not working on anything now, are you? No, we're not. We're just winding up that Gibson thing. Couple of reports to finish. We should be through by noon. We'll turn the reports over to somebody else. I want you to start on this thing right away. Okay. Right, Skimmer. Anything you need, let me know. Right, we'll check you later. Right. Smith? Yes, sir? How'd you get all those cuts in your face there? Shave them? Well, in a way, yeah. Yeah, same thing used to happen to me. Why don't you get yourself an electric razor? Frank and I asked one of the other men in the detail to take care of the reports on the case that we'd finished, and then we started through the statements we'd gotten from Captain Nelson. From them, we got a pretty good idea of how the car stripping ring was operating. There seemed to be a definite plan for the thefts. Most of the stolen articles were in the luxury class. Only radios were taken from Cadillacs and Lincolns. Heaters were stolen from Chryslers. Special hubcaps from foreign cars were listed among the stolen property. We had the stats office make a run on the M.O. that we could piece together, but their information led us nowhere. In none of the reports was there a possible description of the thief. The times the cars were stripped and the locations where the burglaries occurred made it apparent that it was a large-scale operation. For the next two days, we talked to the victims. We double-checked the time of the thefts and the movement of the victims immediately preceding the car stripping. We asked about people loitering in the vicinity of the parked cars. None of the drivers who'd been victimized could supply us with any more evidence than they'd given us in their statements. Friday, June 16th. We checked the list of recent parolees from state penitentiaries and work farms looking for ex-convicts who'd been involved in cases of car stripping. The list of names we came up with were checked out, but they let us nowhere. In the meantime, the pressure from the citizens' groups in the city had gotten worse. At the end of the first week we'd been working on the case, the value of stolen articles reached about $500 a day. Additional officers were assigned to patrol the streets. Radio cars doubled the number of field interrogations they normally made, and although several arrests were made, the possibles picked up apparently had no part in the activities of the organized ring. On Saturday, June 24th, we got a call from an ex-convict. He asked us to come out to his garage and talk to him. Come on back here, fellas. We can talk while I finish up. All right. Hey, quite a place you got here, Al. Yeah, I've been pretty lucky. Got just about all I can handle now. The way business is going, I'm going to have to take on some more help. How many men you got working for you now, Al? Two full-time. Saturdays, I got a couple of kids who come in and help out with the wash jobs. Uh-huh. Now, we can talk right here. Pull up a couple of those chairs. All right. There's a rag there on that bench if you want to wipe them off. They get a little dirty standing around. That's okay, Al. What do you want to see us about? Well, first off, I want to tell you guys that I appreciate the way you treated me when I fell. I'll never forget it. Real nice. Don't worry about it, Al. I read in the papers where you're getting a lot of heat on the stripping going around. Yeah, that's right. I just wondered how you're doing on it. That's well, going pretty slow. Why? Do you know anything? I got a couple of rumbles. You know, it's hard not to hear them. Uh-huh. I heard that none of the stuff's been shoved, that right? We haven't seen any of it. Well, the way I get it, you aren't about to. Hey, hand me that socket wrench, will you? This one? Yeah, I'll... There you go. Thanks. Fella came in here a couple days ago. I knew him from before. He said he wanted to do business. Uh-huh. He asked me if I was interested in some good buys and used radios. Uh-huh. I told him I might be if they were good. He said these were the best, all GMs. Then he gave me the price. When I heard that, I knew something was off. What was he asking? I told him he could deliver six Cadillac radios for $28.50 apiece. I asked him where he got them. What did he say to that? I told him he wasn't any of my business. He said where he got them didn't make the radios play any different. 
What makes you figure he might be in on the operation we're after? Well, I told him that if he could make deliveries at that price, I'd want a lot more than a half a dozen. Yeah? Well, he said he couldn't supply them. Said that he only could spring six. I asked him if he was working alone. He told me no. I figured I ought to give you guys a call. Might be something for you. You said you know him, huh? Yeah, from before. Say, you guys like a cold beer? No, Al. No, thanks, sir. Well, you mind if I have one? It's kind of hot. No, go ahead. Thanks. Day gets a little hot, you really notice it. Are you sure you guys don't want a beer? No. No, thanks. Never could drink it out of a can. Seems to taste better in a glass. Well, that's good. Who was the guy, Al? Oh, it's Manny, Manny Phillips. You know where you can get in touch with him? I haven't got the slightest idea. Did he ever fall in? Yeah, I did time at Q for GTA. Is he on parole? I don't know. I think he made it free like I told you. I didn't know him real well. Used to hang around, never had much to do with him. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the first time I've seen him since I got out. I've been staring clear of the old bunch. Makes it easier if you don't pal around with him. Business I got's going good. Got no trouble with anybody, and I want it to go on like this. Mm-hmm. Never could figure it. Guy falls out, and right away he's back with the same old bunch. How are you going to stay clean like that? Well, you aren't. Somewhere along the line, you got to make a mistake. You're right back where you started. How long did it take you to learn? I spent four and a half years at the joint. Well, some of them fall harder than that, Al. Yeah? And they still don't learn. Eleven twenty a.m. We called the office, and Sergeants Bob Beck and Officer Art Moner came out to the garage to stake out in case the suspect came back. Frank and I took Al Woodson down to the city hall and checked the name Manny Phillips through R and I. From the packages that were pulled, we were able to get an identification of the man who'd offered the radios for sale. We checked the information contained in the package. Phillips, whose real name was Manuel Richard Phillips, had an arrest record dating back 12 years. He'd spent one year at Fred C. Nellis School for Boys for car stripping when he was 14. From the time of his release, he'd been arrested on the average of once every two weeks. His age at the time of his latest release from San Quentin was given as 26. Out of that time, he'd spent a total of eight years in state penal institutions. From his package, we obtained his last recorded address. We checked it out and found that he'd moved three months before. We checked his forwarding address. He'd moved. Finally, after talking to the managers of nine more rooming houses and apartments, we came up with his present residence. The landlady told us that Phillips apparently didn't work for a living, but that he always had the money for his rent. She described him as quiet and said that he usually spent a good part of the daylight hours in his room. She was unable to tell us anything about his friends or any business associates that he might have. A stakeout was set up on the place immediately. Because of the apparent size of the operation, it was decided not to attempt to take the suspect into custody at this time. Instead, Captain Nelson agreed that we should keep Phillips under surveillance and try to learn more about the car stripping gang. For the next week, we followed Phillips. 24 hours a day, there were at least two officers tracing his movements. On three nights, he was watched while he stripped cars of expensive accessories. The area was put under a code five, so there would be no possibility of a suspect learning he was under observation. Eleven days after the surveillance began, Phillips was observed to visit a large marine supply yard down in San Pedro. The next night, July 6th, he drove up to the place at 11.37 p.m. He parked his car in front of the gate and dropped the large bundle over the fence. Immediately afterwards, he returned to his room. The following morning at 8.06 a.m., we met with Sergeant Beck in Captain Nelson's office. What'd you find out about the ownership of the supply yard? The license was issued to a Harry Swenson. Well, how about him? We checked the name through the eye bureau. Nothing on him there. Beck, you and Molnar come up with anything? Not that you haven't got. We staked out on the yard every night since we found it. Hasn't been a night that passed that some car hasn't made a delivery of some kind. Got the license numbers of all the cars. They've all been checked out. We know who they are and where to find them. We've had a tail on Swenson every minute. He must have eyes in the back of his head. As soon as one of our men falls in step, he knows that the way he's acted, there isn't a thing we can prove. What's the DA's office say about it? 
We had lunch with Alexander yesterday, Skipper. Laid out the evidence we had. Yeah. Told us if we tried to take Swenson to court with what we've got, they'd laugh us out of town. Well, where does that put you? Well, really not much further than we were. We know who's behind the ring. We know where they're operating from. The big thing now is to find the plant. Unless we can produce the stolen merchandise in Swenson's possession, we haven't got a case that'll stand up. There no leaks about the plant? No, not that we can find. Everybody that's been near Swenson's place has been tailed. Twice a week, there's a truck that leaves the yard. There's no way of telling what's in it, and the times we've followed it, we've lost it. Well, how about a bug? Can you get one into Swenson's office? Well, I don't know how. There's no way of getting them out of there long enough to install one. The night watchman's always on the premises. We're not even sure he's not in on it, too. So where do you stand on it? Well, your guess is as good as ours. Alexander says that without finding the plant, we can't take him to court. Now, we've used every trick in the book to get him to lead us to it, and not one of them's worked. They haven't left a thing open. They're playing it real smart. How many men involved in the operation? Well, we're not sure, but as near as we can figure, 12. That's not counting Swenson or that night watchman. You've been in the business long enough to know it, then. What's that? When there's that many men working, there's got to be a leak someplace. Yeah. Find it. You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. At cigarette dealers. In vending machines. At supermarkets and stores coast to coast. Chesterfields, please. Smokers by the thousands. Yes, smokers by the thousands are now changing to Chesterfield. The only cigarette ever to give you one proof of low nicotine, highest quality. A matter of record. Two, the only cigarette ever to give you this proven record with smokers. Again and again, over a full year and one half, a group of Chesterfield smokers have been given thorough medical examinations. The doctor's reports are again a matter of record. No adverse effects to the nose, throat, and sinuses from smoking Chesterfield. A responsible independent research laboratory supervises this continuing program. Chesterfield. Best for me, best for you. For the next week, a close surveillance was kept on Swenson's marine supply yard, but there were no breaks. Kickbacks from George Brereton up at CII in Sacramento and from Washington, D.C. didn't disclose any previous criminal record on the suspect. During that week, on Tuesday, July 11th, and on Thursday, July 13th, a large steak truck left the yard. The back of the truck was covered with a piece of canvas so that we were unable to see what was in it, but we were reasonably sure that it contained stolen merchandise. In scouting the neighborhood for a possible place to establish a more workable stakeout, we came across an empty office on the second floor of the building directly across the street from Swenson's place of business. Officers equipped with binoculars maintained a constant watch on the activities in the yard. After another week, the events that had been seen were reported to Assistant District Attorney Adolph Alexander, and he stated that if we could get pictures of the operation, we might be able to make a case that would stand up in court. Monday, July 17th, we met with Sergeant Putoff in the crime lab. How far are you going to have to be from the subject, Joe? Well, second floor across the street. Are well, you going to be able to take all the pictures during the day? Don't think so, Putoff. Most of the activity runs after nine at night. Mm-hmm. Well, best bet probably infrared, then. We can shoot it with a four-by-five. How about light? Well, is there any sort of telephone pole, traffic signal in front of the place? Yeah, I think so. The way I remember it, there's a phone pole about ten feet to the left of the gate as you face the yard. Well, we can tie the lights to that, then. Well, any chance they could be spotted? Outside, you can put them up pretty high. Irregular lamp reflectors with heavy infrared filters. If you know they're there and look up, you're going to be able to spot them. Any chance of taking movies? Mm, yeah, we can swing that. 
Life magazine's been experimenting with a new fast film. Results I've seen with it are pretty amazing. All you need is one street lamp. We can use that. Well, if you have to string the infrared lights, wouldn't it be better to shoot the movies on that kind of film? Well, you'd get something. Film's pretty slow, though. You better to use the stuff life's come up with. All right, how long will it take you to set it up? Well, how careful do we have to be? Well, these guys are pretty cagey. If they get any idea at all, we're dead. Mm-hmm. Well, we can have a couple of men go out in the morning and outfit them as linemen. They should be able to have the rig ready for you by tomorrow night. We can start shooting pictures then, huh? Should be able to, yeah. All right. Is Jay Allen around, do you know? Well, I think he's over the court this morning, Joe. Well, then maybe you can help us out there, too. What's that? We're trying to figure some way to tail a truck. We've been trying to find the plant these guys are using for a couple of weeks now, and we just can't get near them. We wondered if Jay might have any ideas on that. Probably use fluorescent paint. That ought to do it. What's the gimmick there? They tie a can of transparent fluorescent lacquer to the back of the truck, punch a hole in the can, and all you got to do is follow the drops. You punch a hole in the can, won't all the stuff run out? Well, there's a couple of brands on the market. They've got enough viscosity so the paint will stay in a can, regulate the frequency of the drops by the size of the hole. Can you see it? Not without ultraviolet lamp. Tie one of those to the hood of your car and you got it made. You got the equipment here to do that? Mm-hmm. Well, would you have Jay give us a call when he comes in? Right. He'll know more about it than I do. Be able to give you all the dope. Okay. I'll get right on the other for you. Thanks a lot. Say, how long have you been after this bunch? Well, let's see. We got the assignment on June 13th. That'd make it over a month now. A lot of time. Well, maybe now we'll have something to show for it. <laughs> The following morning, Tuesday, July 18th, two men from the crime lab installed three 1,000-watt lamps in front of the marine supply yard. The reflectors were equipped with heavy infrared filters. Test exposures from our position across the street indicated that whatever pictures we got would be recognizable enough as to be admitted in a court of law. The new fast film was obtained, and 16-millimeter cameras were installed in the window of the office across the street from Swenson's. We talked with Sergeant Jay Allen in the crime lab, and he went to work on the use of the fluorescent paint. After experimenting, he was able to come up with the correct size hole in the bottom of the can so that a single drop of the lacquer would fall from the can every 10 seconds. A portable ultraviolet lamp was obtained and was ready for immediate installation on our car. For the next three nights, we sat in our vantage point, and we photographed all activity on the suspect's premises. The pictures were shown to Adolph Alexander in the district attorney's office, and he told us that they would play a large part in the prosecution of the case. However, he said that if we could come up with the hiding place of the stolen loot, the conviction would be assured. Tuesday morning, July 25th, 3.15 a.m., Frank and I took the can of fluorescent paint and climbed the fence into the supply yard. Back here. Right. Oh, lousy thing, I didn't see. All right, you better hold it a minute. Who's there? Watchman. Yeah. Better get back in the shadows. Yeah, come on, easy. Come on out. I know you're there. Come on now. Who is it? Well, that was close. Yeah. All right, let's go. The truck should be back in the shed. All right. the can. You want to hang it? I'll keep an eye on it. All right. Get this thing on here. Huh? I thought up this handle. This didn't work at all. Wait a minute. You bend it down? Yeah. Give me your handkerchief. Wait a minute. There's a sharp edge on this wire. Okay. Here it is. 
was still clear there? Yeah. How about that watchman? He went back. Right there we are. How about the stopper in the can? I got it in place. The first bump should knock it out. I hope so. It's got to work. All right, now let's try to get out of here. See if you can kick something else, will you, on the way? Tuesday night at 11.35 p.m., the steak truck pulled out of Swenson's Marine Supply Yard. Sergeant Bob Beck, Frank, and I were parked in an alley just down the street. We let the truck get a good 20-minute start on us, and then the ultraviolet lamp was attached to the hood of our car. Frank started the motor, and we pulled out into the street. Spot anything yet? No. Maybe the lacquer dried up around the cork, held it in place. That's a happy thought. Well, here's the corner. Which way? Well, wait a minute. Let's take a chance straight ahead, huh? All right. There's nothing up this way. You better double back. Okay. Let's try it to the left this time. How about it? See anything yet? Go on up a little more, will you? Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Look at that stuff. It's really lit up. For the next 35 minutes, we followed the trail left by the fluorescent paint. From time to time, we'd lose the trail, but we'd always pick it up again. The truck followed the main highway from San Pedro to Santa Monica and then turned left up Santa Monica Canyon. The trail wound around towards Sunset Boulevard and turned to the left. About one mile from the beach, the drops indicated that the truck had left the main street and turned onto a private dirt road. Half a mile along the road, the trail stopped in front of a large wooden building in the middle of a field. We turned off the car lights and went up to the place. The blinds on the windows were drawn, but there were lights on in a front room. Sergeant Beck covered the rear of the building, and Frank and I went up to the front door. All right. Yeah. What are you doing in here? Police officers, you're under arrest. For what? Is there anybody else here in the building? What are you arresting me for? You want to check with Beck, Frank? Right. What are you doing coming in here like this? You got no right coming around kicking doors right, in. save it, Swenson. How do you know my name? We've been watching you for a month now. Is there anybody else in this house? No. Do you own this place? I'm not answering anything until I see a lawyer. All right, you call it any way you want. We can find out. Got no right in here. I'm going to see my lawyer. You do that, Swenson. What's the charge? Burglary. You think you can make it stick? We're going to try, mister. Where's your evidence? You got to have evidence. We got it. There's nobody else here, Joe. Back room's full of stuff. Radios, heaters, tires, all here. So what? You can't put me away for that. All right, let's go, Swenson. Now, just a minute. Will you listen to me a minute? All right. Yeah, you got this all wrong. You're making a big mistake here. I intend to pay for every bit of that stuff back there. I'm going to pay for it. Yeah, that's right. You will. The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On December 12th, trial was held in Department 97, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Friends, we'd like to express our appreciation to all of you who've made our Dragnet theme song so popular. Whenever or wherever you hear it, we hope it'll remind you to try our Chesterfields. To join the thousands who are changing to Chesterfields and getting the one cigarette that's low in nicotine, highest in quality. Chesterfield, best for me, best for you. All other members of the gang were taken into custody and were brought to trial. 
Perry Ralph Swenson, along with his accomplices, was tried and convicted of 14 counts of burglary in the second degree and received sentence as prescribed by law. Burglary in the second degree is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not less than one, nor more than 15 years. If you had only one book, the Bible, do you know that you would have within its covers the finest examples of literature, both in prose and poetry? You'd have stories which have never been equaled, adventure, love, history, and prophecy. So read your Bible every day during National Bible Week. just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Vic Perrin, Jack Crucian. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely new Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspapers for the day and time. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet, transcribed from Los Angeles. Have you tried new cork tip Fatima? It's the smooth smoke with Fatima tips of perfect cork. King size for longer filtering and Fatima quality for a much better flavor and aroma. Fatima is made and guaranteed by Liggett and Myers Tobacco Company. Try Fatima today. Hear Frank Sinatra as Rocky Fortune tonight on the NBC Radio Network.